deals. And Bonds hits one high. It's a deep. It is out of here. The drive in the air to deep right field. That ball headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Out of here. It's out of here. It's out of here. Out of here. Outside baseball with Seth Nevsky and Drew Frank. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of Outside Baseball. My name is Seth Nevsky, and as always, my co-host, Drew Frank. Drew, how's it going? It's going good. We're, uh, you know, still locked inside. Haven't been out in almost a month to any public place. Uh, I got to go return my keys for my place downtown sometime next week, so I'm going to be braving the outer world. But, yeah, just kind of hanging out. Yeah, uh... Same thing here, to be perfectly honest. Thankfully, there's enough things in my home that I could still exercise because I wouldn't, you know, just want to be a schlub, hang out inside doing nothing the entire time. So, you know, self-improvement. I'm going to have that summer quarantine body, which is good. Uh, but yeah, so I've been doing that. Been doing this, been doing some other sport media stuff to pass the time, uh, which is good. So today's episode, we are going to go over, much like how last episode, we did a where are they now of the 2016 leaders in war. This episode, we are going to do a where were they then of the 2019 leaders of war. Yeah, that's the thing. We do this, we do that. We always throw it back to something we previously did because uh, we're very careful with this podcast. We care about our listener, Jackson Farrow. Shout out. Uh, But yeah. Yeah. So, do you want to just get right into it, Drew, or... Yeah, sure. Let's start same place we started last episode. <laughs> yes, with Mr. Mike Trout, uh, who's been with the Los Angeles Angels, no Anaheim, as I found out first episode, for his entire career. And in 2019, he had an 8.6 war. 2016, he had a 9.7 war. You know, there's no... I wouldn't consider it a drop-off that he had this 1.1 war dip. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he also missed a few games, so that could contribute to it, I guess. Am I just wrong entirely or no? Yeah, he was hurt for a bit. He missed uh, around 20 games. Okay. So I, enough to make a, a little dip, but obviously not enough to take away that first place from him. As even with some time missed, he still led the whole MLB. Yeah, not only that, but also with only playing 134 games, looking at fan graphs, uh, he had the most home runs of his career at 45. So, bringing the power, I feel like he's been one of those subtle weight weight gainers over his career. You know what I'm saying? He came in, he was kind of on the skinnier side, and now he's just yoked out of his mind, swinging top top golfs, and uh, you know, for 500 yards. So, still the best player in the league. I don't see a dip coming anytime soon. But hey, Drew, you're the expert. He's 28 right now. When do you think we could start to see signs of regression? And uh, if I could just make a guess, I'm going to, even though he's not the best fielder, it's going to be on the fielding side first, and then they're probably going to move him to the infielder DH. Do you see that possibly happening? I mean, maybe. They've got all sorts of outfielding prospects, finally, because this is a an Angels organization that really hasn't had too much going for their farm system for quite some time. But Joe Adele, who I think we talked about in a previous episode, if you're familiar with the name, Mm-hmm. Yes, I remember hearing his name and thinking of the singer. Yeah, well, there you go. So he's uh, he's he's close, and he should be up um, probably, well, depending what happens in 2020, maybe this year, if we have baseball, I mean, who knows. But definitely, at the very least, he'll be a starter in 2021. And he's like 5 tool, not quite the same ceiling as Mike Trout, because, I mean, no one is, but... Someone that can, if you're looking for maybe him to transition out of center field, it would probably be Joe Adele or um, I believe Brandon Marsh is the other guy. They've got another young center fielder coming up. So, yeah, but if you're looking for a timeline, he's got 10, 10 more years probably. I mean, he could be an all-star in every single one of them before he even starts to slow down because only going into his age 28 season, he's already won three MVPs, rookie of the year, MVP runner-up four different times on top of the three times he won it. I mean, there's there's really been no signs. As you said, the home runs are still going up. Yeah, uh-huh. Just a powerful guy, powerful swing. Yeah, I think he may, he may see a slowdown on defense more than offense. And, like, what would that make him? Would that make him go from a near 10-war guy every, every year to a 7-war guy? 
But either way, it's a, you know, he is clearly one of the best players of all time. Yeah, easily. Uh-huh. So next we go to the first pitcher, uh, Garrett Cole, who was with the Houston Astros last season uh, with the war of 7.4. Next year, he will be with the New York Yankees. And in 2016, he was with the Pittsburgh Pirates with a war of 2.5. So a solid starter, not nearly the uh, top, what, three pitcher in the league he is now, maybe top one. But uh, yeah, what was happening in Garrett Cole's life in 2016 to account for this? Well, that was his second last year in Pittsburgh. He got dealt to Houston after 2017, but it was 2015 that he actually really kind of broke out and he put up a 2.6 ERA. He went 19 and 8, which was good enough to get him fourth place in the NL Cy Young voting that year. So a really, really good year in 2015. Took some steps back in 2016 and then struggled even further in 2017. And one of the big reasons that you see this resurgence all the way to the top of the list in 2019 was because the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, and they've gotten a lot of credit for this, and they've gotten a lot of criticism for this, but they really emphasize the use of the sinker. And they they try and work that into all of their pitchers' um, repertoires, and that's something they've done for years. And that's potentially what might have hampered Cole's development a little bit, because he has a really strong fastball, but... When they started kind of working with him, he wasn't able to be as effective with it. The walk rate went up. The strikeout rate went down. And then he gets straight to Houston. And Houston, we talked about before with Verlander and with Charlie Morton even a little bit, Houston is really big on the fastball. So they said, you know, scrap this sinker if it's not really working for you. Focus on the heat. And then by establishing his fastball a lot more very quickly he got back on track and then he's been an all-star and top five in Cy Young both years he's been with Houston yeah and I think another thing that should be mentioned about 2016 uh, is he only started 21 games and really appeared in only 21 games so that would obviously hamper the war as well Uh, but yeah he did see a dip in ERA and just looking at the K rate difference do you have the numbers pulled up in front of you or no uh yeah so his his strikeouts per nine dropped from 8.7 down to 7.6 in 2016 in that shortened season. So it dropped by a strikeout per nine, which again isn't the hugest, um, the biggest difference game to game. But when you spread it out over a whole season, it's a noticeable drop off for sure. Yeah. And, you know, with that change in approach that the Astros put in him last year, he had a K per nine of 13.8, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Let the whole MLB with that. Uh-huh. Just you see going from the Pirates to the Astros, uh, 8.7 to 12.4 to 13.8. Uh, so let's just say he's on the right track. Let's just say this guy Garrett Cole knows what he's doing. Yeah, not not the biggest waste of money for Yankees fans. Mm-hmm. So next we go to the second position player, member of the tribe, Alex Bregman, the only Jew in New Mexico, maybe. He spent his entire career with the Houston Astros. He had a war in 2019 of 8.5. In 2016, I believe that was the year he was originally called up, and he had a war of 1 in that season. So the growth from Alex Bregman, and obviously, I'm not sure if you need to mention it, but maybe it's important, the whole sign-stealing thing. So maybe that contributed to why he had 8.5, for example. But he's been able to turn himself into essentially a top-five position player in the league, which is still very, very impressive. Uh, over the past few years yeah I, I don't know it's it's hard to really give any analysis on whether or not there is sign stealing whether or not that you know involved anything at all but with Bregman at least he was a very very high-end prospect right from his draft yeah so yeah second overall yeah the skills are there so I I mean it's hard to dis. it's hard it's hard to say because in, in on one hand if they've been doing it and they've been caught doing it, can you trust the numbers? But on the other hand, if he's been doing it his whole life before he went to the Astros and hitting um, averages in college ball that are sky high with power, with with a little bit of speed and some nice defense, like can you say it's the sign stealing? But you can't say it's not the sign stealing. So I, I don't know what what you're supposed to say there. Yeah, it's kind of a weird debate whether or not this affected him or how much it affected him. Like I said, do we even need to mention it? Is it that important or unimportant? Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 like an asterisk, right? Like, it's it's there. Yeah. It doesn't tell the story, but you can't really tell the story without it, I'd say. 
Has anyone ever made the pun Asteros yet? Like everyone. Okay. Wow. Everyone. I'm not creative <laughs> at all. I apologize the for Houston that. Houston asterisks. No, I, I said the Asteros. I, I took know. a sl- I slot, a slight alteration on that one. <laughs> I don't know why I was Australian for a half second there. But uh, yeah, 41 home runs, a lot of power from a tiny Jew. I'm going to be just perfectly frank there. 41 home runs, like, geez, he's a small guy. Uh, and on top of that, just, you know, decent fielding. Uh, yeah, and in 2016, he only played 49 games. So one war in 49 games, that's still pretty good. 114 WRC plus in that year as well. So an above average hitter, not close to the 168 he had last season. Anything you want to add on top of my uh, rambling numbers? <laughs> Well, in that first season, he got called up in late July in his rookie campaign, and he was hitless for his first uh, week and a half in the majors. So a slow start for him, but he picked things up, and uh, towards the end of the year, he was hitting better. But it's really hard to compare you know, and his MVP candidate season last year, where he was runner-up in the American League to half of his rookie year back in 2016. But that's kind of the case for a lot of the guys we're going to get to because there's a lot of youth and younger players on this list. Yeah, I guess it's just really weird how uh, baseball changes so quickly. And I apologize, Bregman, you're pretty much my height and weight. I thought you were a lot smaller, uh, but maybe that's just my own self-stereotyping. You kind of threw me off uh, off the top there when you said a member of the tribe. I was like, wait, are we going with Lindor here or where Where are we going? I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Of course. No, no. he <laughs> He's a bar mitzvah boy, Drew. Yeah. He belonged to the temple. He's a chosen one. Next, we head to the second pitcher. We had his teammate near the top. Let me just, yeah, second uh, in 2016. But it's him over here, Jacob deGrom. Spent his entire career with the New York Mets. War in 2019 of 7. War in 2016 of 2.9. I believe that's a couple years removed from when he won Rookie of the Year. But he just seems like one of those guys who is always... He's always solid, and then he has peaks of greatness. Would you say that that's a fair assessment? For DeGrom? Yeah. I'd say that's a fairer... I don't know. I I would say that almost fits... Syndergaard's profile a bit more he's not quite as solid but he, he's very much peaks of greatness yeah I'm way off DeGrom though he's he's he, I'm way off I'm just looking at the war right now yeah he's been he's been quite consistent back-to-back Cy Youngs um which says it all right there right yeah he's a, a very complete pitcher and, and I think a lot of people can agree that even though Cole is is very dominant and he's got that hard fastball the power slider and I mean, that dominant ERA and strikeout rate. It's hard to say that DeGrom isn't the most complete pitcher in baseball because he's got a very effective changeup and he can mix speeds nicely, very consistent on the mounds. He he had a, a long stretch, and I, I don't have the number in front of me, but I believe he broke or tied the record for longest set of quality starts in a row. Like He's just very much a true ace that you can depend on. Kind of like, I mean, here in Toronto, we saw Roy Halladay do it for so many years where it's every fifth day, you know, this guy's going to go out. He's going to give up three or four or fewer, emphasis on the fewer, give you six, seven, eight, nine innings, and someone you can really bank on more than a, a Syndergaard type. Yeah, so I apologize for that. Remember that the premise of this podcast is that I don't know shit about the last three years of baseball. <laughs> so that's uh, fair to mention. Uh, and yeah, nine war in 2018, seven war in 2019. Uh, I wouldn't say that that's a decline as much as, you know, as we said in the first episode, fluky baseballness, basically, or baseball flukiness, I believe we called it. But yeah, 2.9. Uh, he was solid in 2016, 3.04 ERA, 3.32 FIP, 8.7 Ks per nine, uh, and 2.2 walks per nine. So yeah, just uh, been pretty good for his whole career and has been very very good over the past two years yeah well <laughs> very very good is maybe a few too many varies to just capture how dominant he's been and, and just to, to finish up on DeGrom to round out I mentioned he he broke a record with quality starts in a row do you want to take a guess of how many realistically you think he was able to put together I'm gonna go 15 26 jeez 26 straight quality starts which tied Bob Gibson's record that he recorded between uh, 1967 and 1968. DeGrom did it between 2018 and 2019. Just dominant. 
Uh-huh. Also, the rare uh, last name starts with a lowercase letter, so that's something. Oh, and something else where I'm not sure where exactly, and he wasn't born there, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. So he went to school. He actually was born there. Do you know where DeGrom went to school? Hmm. No clue. It's called DeLand, Florida. D-E capital L lands, Florida. No joke. 100% legit. That is perfect. <laughs> Hold on. So is it a capital D, though? or uh, yeah. It's a capital D, but it's also a capital L. So uh, uh-huh. interesting. He was born there, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's poetic, isn't it? So next we go to Christian Yelich, uh, who has really broken out in the past couple seasons. Uh, and I know that much, so even though I got it wrong with DeGrom, I'm right with Yelich, correct, Drew? Yep. All right, good. Uh, he was with the Brewers in 2019. He is still with the Brewers. Uh, he had a war of 7.8 last season. And in 2016, he had a war of 5.4. So a solid player, but he hadn't yet reached the heights that we know of him to reach right now. So what's really changed about Yelich in the past few years? He still has a, a similar swing, but what's really getting the power for him is he's just... So I guess the best way to explain it is he's very um, opposite to what a lot of people are preaching with launch angle, where he had an early start to his career hitting around 300 because he was able to lace line drives um, in front of the outfielders and into gaps and kind of be a more of a crafty number one, number two hitter in the order in those years. But then as he got stronger, he didn't necessarily sell out and become more of an uppercut hitter. Instead, he was just increased the launch angle just a tiny little bit where he's still hitting line drives very predominantly but because of his increased strength and his ability to barrel these balls quite well he's able to line balls out of the park like almost no other hitter is able to yeah so that certainly uh helps his case yeah he does even just looking at the pictures you can tell he's put on a bit of bulk uh and yeah you could see in his average like you know uh, 298 and 2016 which is already pretty freaking good and then the past two years 326 and 329 uh, with just crazy power so putting on weight is a good thing uh, if you want to hit for power I endorse that well and last year he got hurt towards the end and I'm not sure if you saw it he, he uh, hurt his knee yeah right near the end of the season and didn't join them for playoffs which they didn't go very far but tough way for them ends because it also took him out of the mvp race as he missed a bunch of games bellinger passed him took the mvp but he was very close and i mean 2018 and 2019 he led the national league in both batting average and slugging last year he led the whole mlb in slugging and just a great offensive performer yeah and the fan graphs war uh they're both at 7.8 clearly you've heard us say Yelich's name before Bellinger so Yelich does that still make him the best position player in the NL just because Bellinger got pretty much neck and neck with him despite a lot more games yeah you I mean you can make the case for either of them you can make a case for Mookie Betts even on his skill set but maybe he's a little bit behind the the top two dogs Bellinger offers a little more when it comes to speed and defense he's really really strong defensively and a bit better than Yelich out there but I don't know man because Bellinger for the first five six weeks and we'll, we'll get to him in a little bit like he he had a case where it's like you know this guy legitimately might make a run at 400 by the time we're at the all-star break and he tapered off now the tough second half but uh, I don't know it's it's really neck and neck between the two of them mm-hmm. and then uh third for pitchers uh with 6.8 Texas Ranger in 2019, Texas Ranger uh, in 2020, or he will be, Lance Lynn, who was with the St. Louis Cardinals in 2016, and did not play because he was recovering from Tommy John. So that's kind of a nice story, I guess, you know, get Tommy John and then still return to be one of the best pitchers in the MLB. Uh, and just looking at the name, I was quite confused, but because uh, I'm pretty sure he was a three guy the last time I'd been following baseball. In 2015, for example, he had a war of three, which, you know, solid. But then just the jump by four from 2018 to 2019 uh, is just insane. Yeah, and it's, it really is impressive. I mean, especially after Tommy John surgery, you think, you know, maybe his better days are behind him. But no, he comes back and 
he kind of reinvented himself and he embraced his role as more of an innings eater more than anything else, where he's just going to go out, throw strikes, try and generate some ground balls, got some sinking action on his fastball, and roll with that. Not really selling out for the strikeout, just, as I said, kind of embracing who he is, and it's really worked out for him. Yeah, and the walks are down from uh, 2018 to 2019, 4.4 to 2.5. So that's also pretty solid. And and that's a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this will continue? That, or do you think this is, once again, baseball flukiness? We got to get a shirt that says that, don't we? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't see a reason why it wouldn't continue. We, uh, we're looking at, there's a, a visual that got put up on, on Twitter, and it's a great follow uh, just at Darren W. It's Darren Wilman on Twitter. He works for uh, MLB.com and does all sorts of different stuff with baseball savants. I believe he was the founder of Baseball Savant. And, and so he put out a thing where um, he's put out a bunch of really interesting ones. But one of them is every part of what would be a strike zone and showing which pitcher threw the most fastballs in each spot, all in the zone, around the zone. And right across the middle, it's Lance Lynn, Lance Lynn, Lance Lynn, almost right across the heart of the plate because that's that's what that was what he was doing in 2019. He wasn't afraid to throw his fastball out there and challenge hitters, and that's why he kept the walk rate down. If he keeps doing that, I, I wouldn't say there's going to be any signs of, of that slowing up anytime soon. Huh, well, that's a good sign for him, that's for sure. He's already 32 years old, uh, which I guess he's been playing since 2011, but... I don't know. He's one of those guys who, I he always looked old, <laughs> even in his younger days. That's fair. I see that. <laughs> so that brings us to number four, and we kind of hinted at him previously, Cody Bellinger, uh, who has spent his entire career with the Los Angeles Dodgers, even though I accidentally wrote Angels in the document. He had a 7.8 war in 2019, and in 2016, he was promoted from double a AA to triple a within the year so good for 2016 cody bellinger uh but yeah uh just was he always this highly touted i don't believe he was right away um as a prospect not even right away before before anything i don't think he was but once he burst onto the scene he was phenomenal in 20 i believe it was 2017 yeah the year right after that that big promotion in 2016 where he really wasn't doing much 2017 he came up he hit 39 home runs in under 550 plate appearances he only got he only got 480 at bats in in 2017 and put up 39 home runs and right then he became highly touted immediately yeah slight regression from 2017 to 2018 looking at the numbers uh, just a, a war drop of 0.4, but a WRC plus drop of about 18 from 138 to 120. But yeah, I mean, this breakout, would you say that it was expected? Or do you think that, you know, he was just going to float by as a about five war guy? Well, anytime you win rookie of the year as dominantly as he did, you, you, you've got to be hopeful for his future, right? And five war is nothing to sneeze at uh, to begin with. But, yeah, he's really asserted himself as a top three hitter in all of baseball. And there's not really too much more to say. I, I, I think voters could have gone either way on Yelich or Bellinger for that MVP last year. I think they made the right call, especially as Yelich went down and wasn't able to really help his team too much into the their end-of-season pennant chase. But, you know, for what Bellinger brings to the table, five tools, he's got a great arm, he's got great uh, range in the outfield, he can play some first, doesn't do that as much anymore, but he can, and he can run a little bit, and I really, there's nothing to complain about with Cody Bellinger. Well, that's what kind of confused me, just tuning in uh, at the end of last year, where it's like, the fact that Bellinger won MVP, didn't that mean that you kind of need to have a similar philosophy and thus make Bregman the MVP? Maybe that's a, my a, my bias coming out on that one. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just if we're going by narrative and all this stuff attached to that, I thought it would be Bregman, but I'm not going to deny anything from Mike Trout because he's been screwed a couple times before. Well, there's that factor, but I, I, I think there's also like he finished – with more home runs, he finished with a higher war. He was doing it in a lineup with less protection, which can kind of actually cut both ways. 
as it's like, well, if your team's not great and you lose, how valuable are you? But also, you know, when you're the only guy with no one, no other bats helping you, it's it's difficult. But Trout pulled through. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I guess that one could have gone either way, but uh, I I I think it was definitely the right call in picking Trout. Mm-hmm. And just a few things on uh, Bellinger as a prospect. Do you know when he was drafted? Do you have the numbers on that? He was drafted. Uh, yeah, he was drafted in the fourth round of the 2013 draft. Yep. And now just for a, a, a hint of trivia. So looking at the baseball reference numbers. So don't pull those up if you haven't yet. If you have, there's nothing stopping you. Uh, but he only played three games to end AAA. So he got called up at the very, very end, I guess. But in double A, uh, what do you think his OPS was? I'll say, well, he, he so that means he got to the major leagues without really playing much in triple A. So it had to be really impressive. I'll say like 1450. That's the thing. It was 843. Oh man. I was going to say it would be something like insane. Like what we've only seen from a few guys ever, but man. Yeah. That's why it's kind of confusing to me. You know what I mean? Because 843 is pretty good, but you know, I wouldn't see that climb to the majors becoming one of the best power hitters that quickly. If I remember correctly, he looked good in spring, and then someone went down, and I can't remember. I, I didn't watch enough, clearly, NL West in 20, uh, 2017. There was someone that went down um, for the Dodgers, and they needed a replacement, so they called up Bellinger, made his debut as an injury fill-in, looked really good. I think it was Andrew Tolles, maybe? Hmm. Or Andrew Tolles was involved, something like that. Bellinger comes up and he just destroys the world. And then when the guy comes back healthy, they're like, hey, um, I don't know what we do now. And he wouldn't have had a job unless he was dominant. But because the opening was there with the injury and then he capitalized, he kind of expedited his career there. Where, like you said, he didn't prove himself really much in double A. And if there wasn't the injury, he might not have had the chance. And then if he didn't capitalize, he might not have had a chance for a while. So it seemed like everything just kind of fell into place for Bellinger. Maybe a little bit of luck involved. Yeah, I guess so. And sometimes I guess you need those breaks. Uh, So that takes us to the fourth pitcher and last time I confused uh the fourth and the fifth or this time's fourth and fifth so I'm gonna make it a point not to do it this time fourth Max Scherzer uh who in 2016 was with the Nationals 2019 won the World Series with the Nationals and is still with the Nationals 6.5 war in 2019 uh 5.6 in 2016 he's just been one of those guys who has been doing it at a very high level for a very long time anything really else to say on that like I there's a 0.9 increase but I just think when you're that good you know 0.9 doesn't really mean all that much yeah I I agree what what does mean a lot is that World Series and his performance in the playoffs both as a starter and in the pen was really really strong Uh, beyond that it was kind of same old same old for Max Scherzer another dominant season and this year they finally got done in the playoffs yeah and he has had a war uh, below 3.2 every year since 2013. So that's really just the level of consistency he is at at 35 years old. Wow. So now we are on someone who I never really thought I'd see here, and hopefully I get his uh, anthropometrics right. I do not think he is the biggest guy. Uh, another infielder type, Marcus Semien. Uh, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, but the last time I was following baseball, he was not at all a big deal. Uh, who I believe has spent his his entire career with the Oakland Athletics, 7.6 war in 2019, 2016, 2.1 war. So he was a solid starter type, could move him, I believe, basically between second, short, and third. But I I never foresaw this. Uh, Just anything to speak on his climb to being one of the best position players in baseball? Well, he was never uh, an especially good defender. And part of that war that really climbs almost out of nowhere was because his bat broke out, but he also kind of picked up where he had been struggling in the field. And, I mean, I'm not sure if you have his defensive numbers in front of you there on Fangraphs, but... Yeah, I do. Yeah, do you see the big increase there? Yeah, so the defensive increase was uh, in 2018, he moved from .3 to 15.6, and he maintained that into 2019 with 14.1, and then his bat came this year... Uh, moving from negative 1.6 uh, on the OFF 
to 37.5. So I guess that's where he made it up this year. And yeah, his defense was pretty out of nowhere. Yeah, and I mean, that'll make a big difference when you're looking at war because it, it does encompass both. And so when you take big strides on both parts of the game, you're going to see that number climb as a result. Um, I mean, there's a few other factors. He's in a lineup that's gotten better and better. And there's strong lefty bats and there's strong righty bats with guys like Olsen, guys like Chapman, a few other really talented hitters. So got more protection, more opportunity to drive in some runs. I mean, he came third in AL MVP voting, which is pretty pretty impressive for him. Um, started all 162 games. So again, when we're looking at war, that's going to help your counting stats. That's going to help your war. Um, and just, yeah, a, a bit of a late career breakout. It was his age 28 season. But, you know, maybe uh, there's something for him, a big payday down the line. Because I want to say he's got one year left with Oakland or something like that. Yeah, 2020 is his last year. Um, and he can be a free agent next year. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, where this goes for him. Yeah, and my mistake, he was actually uh, drafted by the White Sox and spent his first two years in the MLB with the White Sox. But yeah, he's uh, just quite the breakout for him. Perhaps I could compare this, and I'll probably be wrong because a lot of my comparisons are wrong. Uh, is this almost Ian Desmond-esque? Uh, well, I mean, for his sake, hopefully not because Ian Desmond has really, really fallen off pretty quickly um, in his yeah. time with the Rockies. But yeah, I mean, I mean maybe. Desmond um, also took a lot of strides defensively pretty quickly which I guess you could say is is a good uh, a good comp, a very offensive first middle infielder that developed the glove a little bit more as time went on. I mean, ultimately he got moved around the diamonds. Desmond then played some center, played some first. I think now he's mostly going to be playing first base as he's heading into his fourth or fifth year with Colorado. But yeah, I mean, similar to to Simeon, it's about. Um, when you when you're playing shortstop, you can't just hide and have a bat and hope to stay in the lineup. You've really got to work on the glove too. Yeah, and looking at it, uh, Semyon reached a way higher peak in terms of WAR than Desmond did. So uh, right. that's another problem with my comparison over there. I, I, I thought he did much better. But the premise, I'll, I'll give you the premise. That works. I thought he had a year where he just went crazy, and then the year after was kind of disappointing. Not quite. In the field, the shift to center was weird. Yeah, I never got that. It sort of worked out. I mean, in 2016, they made uh, they didn't quite make playoffs, I believe. Texas. Oh no, they, they made did. playoffs. Yeah, they, they did. did. And, yeah, they got bounced in the first round, but they got swept. Sure did. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Simeon's definitely a guy that, like you said, for someone in your position who hasn't followed for a few years, a name you wouldn't expect, but someone you got to keep an eye on moving into 2020 is. You know, whether he'll build on it or regress, if that is just a, a season of baseball flukiness. Uh-huh. We, we're going to put that on the shirt or in the logo or something. It's too good. And no one's going to wear it except for Jackson Farrow. But we're going <laughs> to charge him a premium as our only fan. I appreciate that shout-out if you are still listening. Uh, so that takes us to the fifth pitcher on our list, another guy who's been doing it for a very, very, very long time uh, and did it once again in 2019, Justin Verlander. Uh, who has been with the Houston Astros for a bit of time now. Uh, he will be with them in 2020, but in 2016, he was with the Detroit Tigers. He had a war of 5.4, uh, and in 2019, war of 6.4. I believe at the end of his tenure with the Tigers, he started to decline, but then he picked it back up, and he's never really, like, even though he's fallen, he's always been a solid guy in the league, and uh, he's probably... One of the best pitchers of all time. I'm not sure where to put him in that, but is that too crazy to say? Um, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know because it's he's getting older. But as you said, if if you're gonna look at the um, discussion of all time greats, you need the you need the tenure. And his first All Star appearance, sorry, his first Cy Young vote came in 2006, um, and now. <laughs> years later over a decade later 2019 he wins Cy Young and I mean he's just had a very storied career you think um 
he's got the black ink that would suggest he's heading towards a Hall of Fame career. Not sure about first ballot or not, but the big numbers that matter. I mean, he's led the league in wins twice. He's led the leagues in innings pitched four times, including this past year in 2019. Strikeouts, he's led the league five separate occasions. And last year, actually, he didn't lead the league, but it was his first year hitting 300 strikeouts just because of how baseball's trending. It wasn't quite um, enough to lead the league, but yeah, a very storied career. And similar to what we talked about, Cole, part of his resurgence was the use of the fastball as it was really encouraged by the pitching staff in Houston, and it's worked out for him. Yeah, that's for sure. Also, one of the few pitchers to have an MVP to his name, which certainly helps. Yep. So now we go to the number six position player in war, Cattell Marte, who was with the Diamondbacks in 2019 with a war of 7.1. He will be with them again in 2020. But with the Seattle Mariners, uh, he in 2016, he had a war of negative 0.4. And he is uh, one of two guys on this list to have had a war in the negatives in 2016 and rose to be one of the top 10 guys as a position player or a pitcher. So what has changed for Cattell Marte? I know he's kind of been like, uh, what the fuck punchline? You know what I mean? Like, how did he even get here? So what kind of changed for him? Well, it, I mean, it's hard to point to just one thing because it, it seemed like all of a sudden things just quickly turned around for him. And 2019 was the breakout year. It's not like some guys where we talked about 2016, they weren't quite there, and it's been working their way up to where they are now. For him, he almost flipped a switch going into 2019 as, as things really turned around. He was top four in MVP voting. I mean, a 329 average in combination with 30-plus home runs. Guy that brings speed, a guy that plays defense, and all around the diamonds. I mean, in 2019, he played center field. He played middle infield, second base, shortstop. Going back a few years, he's played some third base, you know, corner outfield. A guy that really is super valuable because he can hit. You can put him anywhere in the lineup near the top with his speed and average or near the middle with the power he brings and anywhere in the field because of his versatility. So one of the guys that may be a little bit lower down the list as opposed to some of the, the names we've mentioned already, but to, in some, to some extent almost more valuable to his team than a guy like Semyon because of everything he can provide the manager. Yeah, I don't want to make any accusations, but do you think that there's a possibility for Compound V uh, <laughs> with Marte's jump? Of uh, I'm doing my uh, head math, so maybe I'm slightly wrong, but 4.5 war going from 2.6 in 2018 to 7.1 in 2019? I mean, I I think it's fair to assume. Don't, yeah, I'm not going to accuse him of anything. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> age 24 season last year, age 25 season this year. It's like that's a natural time to take major steps. Um, and it was just a, it was kind of a combination of things. The the peripheral or the the supplementary factors that you might look at like walk rate or strikeout rate. They mostly stayed pretty pretty close to um, almost exactly where they were last year. So it wasn't that. It was just his ability to um, find better contact by lining balls in, into gaps and, in many cases, over fences. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh-huh. I just wanted to throw in a nice The Boys reference at any step I can. <laughs> Always. Guys, watch that show if you haven't. Once again, we're speaking to Jackson Farrow. Jackson, watch that show. Uh, just just pause this podcast. We know it's your favorite podcast, but you know you got to watch that show. It's a great show. Man, three shoutouts for him. It's I mean, hey, much. dude, when you shout us out, when you shout us out on Twitter, you got to get shout out on this podcast. We got to return the favor. You know, <laughs> three to one ratio. One little mention, bam, bam, bam. We'll get you back. <laughs> uh huh. We're gonna keep going, Jackson Farrow. Uh, so yeah, that takes us to Roy Halladay. Pitch alike uh, as. I referenced in the first episode, I believe, Charlie Morton, who was with the Tampa Bay Rays in 2019, will be with them in 2020, had a war of 6.1 in 2019. In 2016, he had a war of 0.4 with the Philadelphia Phillies. So what changed for Charlie Morton? Well, for the third time already, he was a Pittsburgh Pirate through sinkers, wasn't working overly well, had a bit of uh, excellence there, not a ton of sustained success, goes to Houston, starts throwing fastballs, and boom, he's a, a ace pitcher right out of nowhere. Yeah, well, that works. Also, uh, 
I didn't write this in the notes, so I apologize for that. It should be noted that in 2016, uh, he pitched a total of 17.1 innings. So I'm not going to hold that two against him. Uh, in fact, 0.4 war for that little of a of an appearance, it's solid. So good for you, Charlie. <laughs> but yeah, you're you're right about that evaluation. But even just the climb from 2018 to 2019, only a difference of three starts. He had a 2.9 war in 2018 and a 6.1 war this season. I think some of that is just just FIP, just because uh, he moved from a 3.59 FIP to 2.81, so damn near elite status. But uh, is there anything that you could point to outside of just that catch-all that proves his improvement? Well, he pitched more innings, which is going to help for sure. He pitched close to 200 innings, uh, 194 and two-thirds in 2019, as opposed to 167 in 2018. So anytime you know we're looking at accounting stat like war, that's really going to help. Started a few more games, went deeper into games, did that. His ERA right around the same spot. You mentioned his FIP went down, but one of the big reasons for that is because he limited the home runs really well. And for FIP, that's something that's going to weigh heavily because fielding independent pitching, one of the factors that's independent from fielding is how well you can keep the ball inside the park. Walks, K's, and dingers. Yep, pretty much. The big three. Uh huh. And as he kept the ball in the park better than any other pitcher in the MLB, 0.7 home runs per nine, led the whole MLB with that number. I mean, that's where that comes from. Yeah, it's also just an insane jump for someone who was 35 years old last season. Yeah. Like, think about that. How many times do you see that in any sport? Someone just jumps this incredibly at age 35. Well, and that's one of the reasons my personal opinion on the Astros situation is they get a lot of crap for the the trash cans. And, I mean, they haven't played yet, so I'm sure we'll see it once they play their first games and what fans will say, especially as they play their first road games. But, I mean, this pitching, I... Unless they're doing something sneaky behind the scenes we're not picking up on, just reinventing these guys like Charlie Morton late in his career, Garrett Cole after a handful of years in the league already, like reinventing him a little bit younger, but similar thing. Justin Verlander, who was into his 30s quite a bit by the time he went to them. Like, you got to give them credit here for what they've done for these late career resurgences. Yeah, even minus the whole trash can thing, I'd say that they're certainly a forward thinking franchise. And that you just got to applaud them about. Uh, and if anything, I think that this whole quarantine thing might have helped the Astros. Like, I bet you definitely that Jose Altave and Alex Bregman are like, few. maybe this will calm down by the time we're back on the field. 100%. Everyone will just be excited for baseball. They won't be the headline. Like, it was a pretty relatively quiet offseason, of course. Big trades like uh, the Mookie Betts and the Garrett Cole moving to the Yankees. But... The big story was the Astros. Like yeah. There wasn't anything else taking the spotlight for them. So coming into opening day, they were the story. Well, guess what? Now you're depriving all these baseball fans from their team and from their sport for months. When we get back to baseball, they'll just be happy it's back. I'm, I'm sure the Astros will still get all sorts of coverage and all sorts of heckling, but not the number one story anymore. Yeah, it's even like with the Red Sox. Uh, their whole scandal recently came out, and I don't feel like anyone's making nearly as big a deal about it. Maybe we're just desensitized to it at this point, but... Yeah, it seems like just no one cares nearly as much anymore. Yeah, it's it's everyone cooled off a little bit. We'll see what it's like when we finally get baseball back. <laughs> Next, we have Anthony Rendon, who until 2020 had spent his whole career with the Washington Nationals. Now he is with the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, war of 7 in 2019. In 2016, war of 4.3. And I forget what episode I, I uh, said this in, but he's just the past three years been a top 10 player that no one really seems to care about how long do you think that this will continue for Rendon he's currently uh 29 years old he's got a very sweet swing and that's something that it's hard to predict anyone um as they as they get older you know what I mean 29 like he's still got all sorts of time mentioned Mike Trout's not going anywhere I mean he's only a year older than Trout is so Rendon, I mean, I like the signing for the Angels. I think he's going to be helpful there and talked about some of the young core coming up, especially in the outfield. And they've got some pieces along the way led by Joe Adele. I mean, Rendon's going to be a valuable piece to contribute for years to come on this team. Yeah, one thing just looking at his fan graphs numbers, uh, it seems like even though the past three years he's had a war above six every year, 
Uh, while earlier that was a bit more defense heavy, now it's a bit more offense heavy. Uh, for example, in 2017, when he had a WAR of 6.7, uh, it was 33.3 OFF, 14.3 DEF, versus now it's 46.5 and 4.2. So maybe that's as he gets older, he realizes uh, that less of his WAR will depend on his fielding, uh, just because he'll age out of being a great fielder. So he's focused a bit more on hitting. But uh, who knows? He certainly had a very good year last year, and he's certainly been one of the best players in baseball for the past little while. And that's probably one of the reasons that he is, like you said, underrated is because if his defense is doing most of the work, then that won't uh, get the same attention as, as the bat will. Would you say back in 2016 when you were watching a little more, would you have picked him out as a star back then? I wouldn't have used the word star. That's for sure. I would have used, you know, just a solid near five war guy. Right. So uh, next we have uh, our number seven pitcher, Steven Strasburg, uh, who semi-similarly to uh, Verlander and Scherzer, just a bit younger and a bit more injury-prone over his career, has been a very good pitcher for a while, spent his, his entire career with the Washington Nationals, famously was picked first overall. Uh, so yeah, 5.7 war in 2019, 2016, four war, uh, and let me make sure he only had 24 starts this year, uh, that year. So like I said, a lot of his downfall has been injuries, but, uh, you know, barring injury, how long do you think Strasburg will continue to be a top 10, 15 pitcher in the MLB? I mean, he's signed now through 2026 after that big contract from the Nationals. So for their sake, hopefully at least till then, mm-hmm. but cause he's, he's making big money to be there as well. $35 million each year, right through to his age 37 season in 2026. Yeah. Uh, I think he's going to age better now than I would have predicted a few years ago because his fastballs slowed down and that's intentional. And I think we talked about this very subject in a, a previous episode where now he relies a lot on his changeup because he sharpened it up. It's It takes a, a little bit more off now than he used to, and he has a very effective slider to go with it. So he's more of a true pitcher now than the fireballing youngster breaking onto the scene that he was way back in his first few years. And I, I think that sets him up in a position where as he ages and he loses some strength and loses some power, loses a bit of the velo, loses a bit of that sharpness to each of his pitches – if he's controlling, he's mixing, and he's got more of a finesse approach, then I think that sets him up nicely for the future. Yeah, I think it's also a good sign uh, that now instead of just going soul patch, he's added a bit of beard in there. I didn't just like the only soul patch look, so I think that that's probably supplied him uh, with a bit more in his later years. And this is actually uh, the third year in his career that he's pitched uh, in in 30 or more games. So, uh, yeah, one of his healthier years, which is good. Yeah, I mean, he led the whole National League in innings pitched last year. 209 innings pitched. That was the most of anyone in the senior circuit. So you, you talk about staying healthy. That was a problem earlier in his career, especially, uh, you know, uh, those those few years after he was shut down in 2012, famously. Um, wasn't able to pitch too, too much. 120 innings in 15, 147 in 2016. Finally showing that, you know, maybe he he can be a bit sturdier. That's his second time over 200 innings this past year. Mm-hmm. So good for Strasburg. Hopefully he can keep that up. Uh, now we are on the number eight position player, uh, Xander Bogarts of the Boston Red Sox. He has spent his whole career there. Uh, 6.8 war in 2019, uh, war of 4.9 in 2016. Uh, he's been one of the better shortstops in the MLB since 2015 with a 4.6 war that year. Uh, but things have certainly changed in his play over the past five years. So do you want to touch on just kind of what Bogarts has changed in that time? Well, first off, I think it's worth mentioning that the two years we're looking at were probably his two best years at the plate offensively. Uh, maybe 2018 was a little better than 2016, but he won silver sluggers at shortstop in, in both 16 and 19. Um, last year, it was it was big for him. He was able to tone into that power a little more he set a career high in home runs put up 33 10 more than he had in 2018 which was his previous career high of only 23 and 
got his bat batting average up to 309. Just what he's been doing at the plate specifically in approach is he's been able to line the ball a little more. And him endeavors the left-handed third baseman that complements him on the left side of that Boston infield are two young pieces that, while they're on opposite sides of the batter's boxes, they have pretty similar swings, very line drive heavy, somewhat reminiscent of what we talked about with Christian Yelich. Now, not the same type of power from Xander Bogarts. He isn't able to muscle balls quite as well as Yelich is, but a guy that really, again, has less of a launch angle lifting the ball approach and more of just a line drive focused uh, solid contact type approach hmm. yeah and that's that's uh what has made this his best year yet despite you know being 27 years old and coming in kind of hot and i guess 27 is uh when you'd have one of the better years so i should have probably rephrased that but oh well i said it and now it's out there uh but yeah a very very solid hitting year 141 wrc plus the best in his career uh, the best ISO in his career as well of 246. So good for Xander. I will forgive you for going with the name Xander instead of Alex because <laughs> your name is probably Alexander. And and yeah, I think, Drew, I think your name is the only name that you can successfully go back half of the name and it won't annoy me. Well, he was actually given Xander. That's what it says on uh, his baseball reference. So Well, then I apologize, Xander, but... Uh, yeah, I apologize for that mishap. I'll try to never screw up anyone's name ever again. Yeah. I just wanted to get that out there, that if your name is Alexander and you go by Xander, we probably can't be friends. Middle name Jan, looking at the Wikipedia, <laughs> yeah. which is also something. Okay, here's my thoughts. What do you, have, you, have you seen Kingsman? I have. You know the main character, Eggsy? Yep. Do you think you could get away with abbreviating Alexander to taking not the top Alex or the end Xander, but taking the middle EX and going Eggsy? I mean, that movie was just so good that I think he can pull it off. But if you tried to do that in public, I will not react to that well. Got it. Just just running that by you if you're going to make a statement here. Yeah, I was actually discussing this recently. I forget why. But uh, uh, the name Topher was brought up, and I expressed my disdain for it, uh, that you should probably just go with Chris. But like I said, your name, I think it is much Topher? better, Drew. As in Christopher yes. to Topher? Yes. Yes. Wow. Okay. That's a thing. It is a thing, sadly. Wow. Maybe they're trying to take the religion out of the name or whatever. I don't know, but it's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Keep Chris and Christopher. That's another shirt. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Jackson, more merch for you. We're going to have a successful merch business on Jackson alone. We're going to jack up the prices, but he's such a big fan that he's going to keep buying. <laughs> so next we head to uh, Shane, not Justin Bieber, uh, who has spent his whole career with the Cleveland Indians, I'm pretty sure, but was in low A ball in 2016, and I knew he was very much new to the scene. Uh, but has he always been this good? Was he a highly touted prospect? Um, well, sort of, but not in the way like not not an ace prospect per se. Like he wasn't not the guy that they were looking forward to for years and years to come in and and save and lead the rotation. He was he's a highly touted sure. But surprise people with how effective he was when he burst onto the scene. And a lot of that comes from his slider. Because his slider gets all sorts of swings and misses. And I believe we talked in the Cleveland ep uh, part of uh, episode 1. But it's, it's really telling that last year he started as the number 5 guy in the rotation. And this year he's their ace. Not just because of people leaving, but because of his development. Like he's really... Um, grabbed hold of the opportunity they've given him and, and really broken out. Yeah, just a couple notes with that. Uh, actually drafted in 2016 as well. Uh, round four, pick 16, so 122nd overall. And something, just looking at the numbers, that confuses me uh, is that despite having an ERA of 4.55 in his rookie year, his FIP was actually better than it is this year. So uh, to use our new Gary Coleman-esque catchphrase, maybe that's just baseball flukiness but uh hey what year was that 2018 yeah that's interesting uh-huh i wonder what that is because just looking at the case per nine and walks per nine both are more solid in 2019 uh so i mean and even the home runs per nine the home runs i guess are slightly up so maybe that's the difference there but uh yeah that's an odd one i guess have you had the chance to watch him pitch not I haven't watched it that closely. Right. Yeah, he's a, he's a very complete pitcher. 
He's got like a, a, a solid four pitch mix. Um, fastball slider curve change up the, the traditional four pitches. I think he also mixes a sinker in um, at times, but really, really it's the fastball that does it, but very strong slider. And I mean, a nice piece moving forward for Cleveland. Yeah, that's for sure. And next we head to the number ninth batter, uh, Mookie Betts, who up until now has spent his whole career with the Boston Red Sox, 6.6 war in 2019 uh, 8.3 war in 2016. We talked about him in our uh, Where Are They Now podcast, and he's currently with the LA Dodgers. And I asked you a question, I believe, either last episode or in the second episode, or might have even been the first episode, about how will Bellinger take to his new teammate, who now has admittedly cheated. Uh, but uh, yeah, just we already talked about basically what has changed and how some of this might be baseball flukiness but Mookie still one of the 10 best hitters in baseball and I don't really see that changing anytime soon well the the one thing that has changed since we last talked about them um, nothing on the field but off the field it was announced that whether or not there's baseball in 2020 he will be a free agent after this year they're 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 not they're they sorry they are granting service time to all the players so guys like Mookie Betts Mm -hmm. get their year of service and He'll be a free agent. So a lot of Dodgers fans getting nervous. That would be just the weirdest one year of anyone's career where it's like, okay, so you get traded uh, and then this whole scandal comes out and your teammate publicly, you know, craps on anyone who was part of any scandal like it. uh, And then you leave the franchise the next year without actually playing a game and having the franchise give up all those prospects. Can you imagine just the magnitude of booze that would come his way if that were to happen? <laughs> there's, I mean, there's also a chance both ways that either he re-signs with, Dodger, with the Dodgers and it's like this whole service time being lost thing never happened. And then there's also the chance he re-signs with Boston. Damn. And then they pick up Verdugo and the other prospect for literally nothing given away as just they get Price off the books as he shipped out to the Dodgers and they get Mookie right back. It's similar to what happened with Chapman a few years ago at the Yankees. Yeah, that would be absolutely insane. So over under Manny Machado level boost. <laughs> I think I think if he if he leaves for Boston, I mean, are you saying if he leaves to Boston and then what what's it like traveling back to Dodger Stadium yes. in 2021? Yes. Um no okay, not quite Manny Machado because Manny Machado off the field did all sorts of things to piss off Dodgers fans. And then on the field, he was awful. Mookie Betts at least seems like a nice guy. So we won't say not quite that level, but definitely up there probably. That would be just absolutely magnificent. Uh, So now we go to ninth pitcher. Uh, He spent part of his year with the Diamondbacks last year. Before going to the Astros uh, during the trade deadline, still with the Astros. Uh, In 2016, he was... Then with the Diamondbacks, which actually surprised me on first glance, uh, but 5.4 WAR in 2019, uh, 2.3 WAR in 2016. We are talking about Zach Granke, uh, who similarly, and I hate to say this with another guy, but similarly to Verlander, has consistently been one of the better pitchers in the MLB. Had a bit of a lull as he got older, but now he's back to where he was, and hey, now he's with the Astros. So yeah, what can you say about a 36-year-old Zach Granke. Not much, to be honest. I mean, he hasn't changed much since 2016. He struggled a little bit, um, but it doesn't seem like there's been any major changes to approach. 2016 was, I believe, the worst year of his career. I, I don't think another year comes close to it since he really broke out and won a Cy Young back in 2019. or Actually, even before that. I mean, if you look all the way back to 2000... I said 2019 there. I meant... 2009 but still going going further than that if you go back to 07 the first year that he um he really um was able to uh break out and and, and put up a sub four era he only had one little dip above four in his career outside of 2016 where he struggled in his first year with the diamondbacks kind of across the boards hits were up um walks were up a little bit strikeouts were down a little bit just overall some shakiness since then he's he's looked good and going to Houston he's done the same thing in his very short time in Houston that he was doing in Arizona 
And similar to Scherzer, similar to Grom, he's just he's been doing it for some time now, and he's just keeping it going as he gets older. Yeah, looking at his. By the way, anyone who wants to do this, you kind of need to do this, Jackson. Do this, but uh, you know, looking at his fan graphs, it's just kind of a weird one because he comes up originally in 2004, performs semi decently, like a 1.8 WAR uh, in 24 starts or 145 innings, 3.97 ERA, FIP of 4.7. Uh, which, you know, it shows that there was a bit of luck there, but still that's certainly rotation quality. Uh, and then his second year in the league, the ERA jumps to 5.8. The FIP gets lower to 4.49. War of two and 33 starts uh, and 183 innings. Then he gets injured, just three games, no starts, which is kind of baffling to me. I guess maybe he got injured at the start and then came at the end. And then they worked him at the in the pen for most of his games in 2007 with 52 games, but only 14 starts in 2007. So yeah, just an odd start for Granky. It's also just crazy that he's been in the MLB since 2004. That's a long time, man. Yeah. Especially for a pitcher. Uh-huh. And he's got years ahead of him. Like he's not slowing down per se. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the second best war in his entire career at age 35 well, in a sub-3 ERA and all sorts of numbers that are encouraging moving forward. Yeah, that's for sure. So next we move to the number 10 batter, uh, George Springer, the second Astro on this list. He spent his entire career with the Astros. Uh, war of 6.5 in 2019, war of 5 in 2016. I know he's mostly been a power-first guy, uh, but what's changed for Springer in his career so far another guy that a pretty similar deal at the plate he's had home run totals in the 20s from the last four years and if you include the 19 five years ago then you could say in that five-year stretch it's been right around the same as batting average in the upper 200s last year you had a career high at, at 292 so that's up a little bit mm -hmm. but a, a pretty solid i mean a guy that's gonna play some good defense he can run a little bit be an effective leadoff hitter, as he's been for them quite a bit. I guess the big storyline for Springer is his contract's done after this year. He's making $21 million in 2020, and then that'll be it for him with the Astros. Either then it'll be time to resign, or it'll be time to move on and, and see if he can cash in. So 2020 will be a big season for him to see, you know, what is this guy really worth on an open market. Yeah, and just looking at it, the numbers are uh, a bit odd as well. Just the most war he's ever had in 2019, despite only playing 122 games. And his first year of positive DEF, which is actually surprising, but uh, I guess that's also contributed to his rise in war. Yeah, and um, I'm not sure whether we can expect the Astros to try and retain him because they've got Kyle Tucker in the outfield that hasn't had a real starting job per se. And they've got Jordan Alvarez, who I'm not sure if they want to try and play him in, in right or keep him DHing or what they're going to do there. So they've got some decisions to make. But, yeah, it could be approaching an end of an era here for these Astros, who Springer's been a big part of their lineup for all these years they've been successful. Yes, and last on our entire list, 10th for the pitchers, we have Lucas Giolito, who with the Chicago White Sox had a war of 5.1 in 2019. He's still with the team. In 2016, it was with the Astros, and he had a war of negative 0.6. So that was the very start of his career. Uh, in fact, he only pitched 21.1 innings that time. I believe he's been a highly touted prospect for a while. Just looking here, he was drafted 16th overall. So what just looking at the breakout from 2018 to 2019 last year at 0.1 war, what happened to Giolito in this particular year that made him take the step? Well, just super quick, it was the Nationals, not the Astros, that he started his career with. Did I say the Astros? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Oh, sorry, I meant the Nationals, my mistake. And then he was dealt as a big prospect, like you mentioned, highly touted, to... Uh, to the White Sox for Adam Eaton, yeah. which may or may not have worked out. I mean, he helped them win the title, so it's hard to complain. But Giolito, what, what happened for him in, in 2019 was almost a realization of potential where he wasn't, he just wasn't 
good enough in his first few years in the major leagues, and he actually gave up the most runs out of everybody in all of baseball in 2018. He surrendered 118 earned runs. So that's not a good start, but maybe looking at what or why, he also led the MLB, sorry, led the AL in 2018 in walks as he walked 90 batters. Um, quite a quite a high number there, and he got that under control as he almost halved his walk rate in 2019, gave up fewer hits and struck out more batters all around. You're set to see some major improvement there, and one of the reasons that he's only 10th on this list and not any higher is because he started out really strong, and then he got hurt a little bit, didn't pitch a full season. He only racked up 176 innings, which is still a good amount, but he would have been able to go a little more if he stayed healthy, especially towards the end of the year. Um, was out, out of the very beginning of the season on a bit of a potentially Cy Young pace, you could say, as he had a 2.2 ERA by mid-June, which is nothing to laugh at. And moving into 2020, as a lot of these guys, especially on the pitcher side, have been a little older Giolito is one of the younger guys that, you know, maybe he's going to keep improving. Yeah, so uh, that's it with uh, all of our 20. Uh, Thank you very much for listening to Outside Baseball Episode 5. Drew, anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, go um, grab your phones, head to whatever your social media of choice is going to be. Check out Crunch Time, Crunch Time Show on Instagram. You can find us on YouTube. You search Crunch Time. We're on Facebook as well. It's a different side project that we've been getting going. Uh, It's worth a look. Pretty interesting. A a different type of content where neither of us are on camera or on the mic here. Um, Just organizing some rant show uh, competition and a bit of debate back and forth on certain topics. Yeah, it's certainly uh, something interesting that we've gotten off the ground we're about to be on tiktok as well so we're getting hip with the kids uh hopefully we don't sell out and start making dances but uh that would be a weird sideshow yeah best uh (laughs) hey who knows right maybe maybe we should debut the tiktok with the uh the best sports dances of all time oh why not baseball do like bat flips or something keep it thematic yeah perhaps but there have been some nice ones over the years some nice sports gestures at the very least uh the knuckleheads of the early 2000s clippers who whenever they scored they just put their knuckles on their heads stirring the pot of course famous across multiple sports so you know maybe we got something in there uh maybe we could get some of these tiktok stars start to dance uh promote the crunch time name probably not definitely not but oh well uh yeah so watch crunch time thank you very much for listening to this podcast jackson farrow Uh, And we will see you next time.